The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Christmas Day, December 25th, 2019, on the basis of Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I think in general we enjoy trying to surprise people, and that's probably especially true at Christmas. In a certain sense, every gift that we give at Christmas is a surprise. After all, we, we wrap it up to keep people from seeing what it is. And yet sometimes we put forth just a little bit of extra effort in order to create a little bit of an extra surprise. My wife Lindsay pulled off one of these surprises with our kids last night. We had already opened up all of the gifts in the normal place where you expect to find gifts underneath the tree. And the girls were off playing with some of the the new presents that they had received. And just as Noah was starting to get a little bit mopey that he hadn't received the one thing that he really wanted for Christmas, Lindsay walked over and moved a few strategically placed pillows and said, well, would you look at that? There's one more present right alongside of the couch here. Of course, that also happens in my personal favorite Christmas movie of all time, which is, of course, A Christmas Story, yours too. Yeah, so they've opened all of their presents, and there Ralphie is very disappointed that he hasn't received the one thing that he really wants when his dad shows him the gift that has been sitting behind his desk. That kind of surprise is sort of like the surprise that we receive on Christmas Eve, I think. Here God gives us this gift of his son, and he places that gift in the most unlikely of places. He places it in Bethlehem. He places it in a manger. Not just for fun, not just for effect, not just to have a little fun at our expense, but because we we need him to do that. It's so that we, with the shepherds, can go to Bethlehem, so that we can stand at the side of our Savior's manger and with them see what God has done, completely unhindered, and completely unafraid. Now, normally, that's sort of where the surprise comes to an end. As soon as Noah saw that big box alongside of the couch, he knew exactly what he had received. And if you've seen the Christmas story, you know that it didn't take Ralphie very long to figure out that he had, in fact, received that Red Rider BB gun. But sometimes the surprise at Christmas keeps going. Sometimes we open up a gift And we don't really know what it is. Or maybe we think we know what it is, but there's actually more than meets the eye. That's the kind of surprise that's sort of like Christmas Day. I mean, it's one thing to to come to Bethlehem and to run to our Savior's side and see this wonderful gift that God has given to us, but we still need to ask some very important questions. What is this gift? And what is he here to do? And that's exactly what Christmas Day provides for us. It sets us straight. It gives us clarity about this gift that God has given to us at Christmas. And that includes these verses from Isaiah chapter 52. In these verses, as we look at them this morning, we will see the full extent of the surprise that God gives us at Christmas. As we look at these verses, we will see that the Christ child shows us what God has up his sleeve. In fact, these verses actually 
use that kind of language. You heard what Isaiah said. He said, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Both in biblical times and in our day, we tend to equate a person's arm with their source of strength and power, right? I mean, think about it. If you want to show someone just how strong you are, odds are that you don't lift up the back of your pant leg and flex your calf muscles for them, right? No, you, you roll up your sleeves and you give them a glimpse of the gun show, right? That's how you show them how strong you are. That's what Isaiah is saying. God is going to lay bare his holy arm. He's going to flex his muscles. He's going to show the whole world just how powerful he is, and specifically as it regards our salvation, In these verses, that salvation is described in a way that would have been very meaningful to the people who heard these words. Throughout the season of Christmas, we've been talking about the the harsh words of judgment that God had through prophets like Isaiah, how God told his people that David's royal kingdom was going to come crashing down. David's tall and proud family tree was going to be chopped down to nothing more than a stump. Well, not only that, but the people of Israel themselves were going to be taken captive and carried off into exile in Babylon. And so as God describes the salvation that he was eventually going to bring, he uses that kind of imagery. He talks about people who are living in exile, finally, at long last, coming home. That's imagery that is meaningful not just for Isaiah's original readers, but it's also very meaningful for people who are still in exile namely people like us. Throughout this season of Christmas, we've also been talking a lot about this biblical concept of peace, this Hebrew word called shalom. It's a word that's used in these verses too. It's a very important word in the Old Testament. And once again, that word shalom means that everything is exactly right. Everything is how it should be. As I mentioned last night, we might picture a Christmas ornament, a very fragile and delicate thing, but as long as every piece is exactly in place, everything is is right. Well, as we look around at our world and realize that what we have is a fragile, delicate ornament that has fallen to the ground and shattered into a thousand pieces, it is a very comforting and very liberating thing to know that shalom will not fully be restored in this life here on earth. In other words, for us to know that this world is not our home. I mean, think about it. Which upsets you more? Which gets you more stressed out and more frustrated, perhaps even with members of your family? If your house is an absolute mess, if it is covered in clothes, if the floors are covered in crumbs, if the bathrooms are absolutely disgusting, or if all of that is true about a hotel room that you're staying in for just a couple of days. When a place is not your home, it's a whole lot easier to put up with a mess, right? So it's very important for us to remember that this world is not our home, that we are nothing more than exiles. It's very easy for us to get caught up in thinking that this world is, in fact, our home, right? And you can't hardly blame us. This is all we've ever known. It's the only world we've ever known. But God reminds us that we are not at home. We are exiles in a strange and foreign land. And thank goodness we are. Because that's the very first thing that we need to know about this gift that God gives us at Christmas. As we look into the manger and see this Christ child, we need to know why he is here. He is here 
to take us home. That's how God is going to lay bare his holy arm to show his power, flex his muscles in the sight of all nations. But do you think a child is really up to the task? See, this is where the real surprise of Christmas is just getting started. When you think about it, it's not all that surprising that God would want to lay bare his arm and show his power in the sight of all nations. It's maybe not even all that surprising that God would want to take the people that he himself made and eventually bring them home. But how he's going to do it, how he needed to do it, that's where the real surprise really starts. In these verses from Isaiah, that comes out primarily in one very important word. Remember again the picture that Isaiah is using here. We've got people who are taken captive and often in exile, and they are going to be coming home. And in these verses, Isaiah pictures the watchmen who are standing on the walls of Jerusalem, who are standing on the walls of Zion, looking to the east. And they are the ones who first see these exiles coming back. And note carefully what Isaiah says that they see. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. So as these watchmen are looking, and as they see these exiles coming home, who do they see at the front of the group leading the way? It's not simply someone that the Lord has sent not someone who is going to do God's dirty work for him, not some brilliant commander of an army or a valiant soldier who's going to get the job done. No, Isaiah sees that it is the Lord himself who is bringing them home. You look at that word Lord in these verses and you probably notice something that you often notice when you see that word Lord in the Old Testament. It's in all capital letters. That indicates to us that The word that's being used there is actually God's special name for himself. It's the name that's sometimes pronounced Yahweh. So the very same Lord who is going to lay bare his holy arm, who's going to flex his muscles in the sight of all nations, is the same Lord who is leading these exiled people home. You know what that means, right? That means that the Lord himself, in order to lead them home, must first go into exile. And that's exactly what you are seeing when you look at that Christ child lying in that manger in Bethlehem. Yes, you are seeing a baby boy. Yes, you are seeing one who is truly human and who has a true human mother. But you are also seeing the Lord, the one true God. And not only that, but you are seeing a God who is in exile. And thank goodness that's what you're seeing because that's the only way for God to bring us salvation. You know, as we think about the fact that we are exiles, that we live in this world that's sort of like an ornament that's fallen to the ground and shattered into a thousand pieces, I think sometimes we sort of picture ourselves as the helpless victims of that situation. Boy, it really is too bad that we just, we have to live in such a terrible place. It sure is nice that God's eventually going to rescue us course the reality is that the world is a broken and shattered place because we have broken and shattered it we deserve 
to be exiles. In fact, not only that, but left to ourselves, we would have no hope of ever coming back from exile. Eventually, the jaws of this broken and shattered world would close in on us in death and would never let us go if God himself had not gone into exile for us. What Isaiah is talking about in these verses is really the the miracle and the mystery that we call the incarnation. As I mentioned with the kids, normally in order to reveal something, we unwrap it. We take whatever it is that is standing between us and it and and we tear it away. God does just the opposite. He wraps himself in human flesh. We might be tempted to think that this doctrine of the incarnation is sort of abstract and academic, maybe the kind of things that thing that pastors like to talk about, but really how how practical is it? Nothing matters more than this doctrine that we call the incarnation. In fact, Martin Luther once pictured it this way. He pictured the divinity, the divine nature of Christ as a hook that is hidden inside of an earthworm like you might do when you go fishing. And then he described the salvation that God has brought to us in Jesus Christ this way. You know what? It didn't ever update. I've got the quote here. You'll have to listen carefully instead of being able to see it. Here's what he said. The hook, which is the divinity of Christ, was concealed under the earthworm. The devil swallowed that hook with his jaws when Christ died and was buried. But the hook ripped his belly so that he could not retain it and had to disgorge it. He, the devil, ate death for himself. This affords us the greatest solace, for just as the devil could not hold Christ in death, so we cannot hold, so it, so it cannot hold us who believe in Christ. In Christ Jesus, we have a God who was willing to go to the utmost depths of exile. And that's not just as a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. That's also as a fully grown man wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a tomb. And yet because death could not hold him, death cannot hold us. Because he has now gone back to his heavenly home, we will one day join him. That's what the Christ child reveals, that God has up his sleeve. And I think you'd agree, there are surprises, and then there are surprises. Last night when Noah opened up that surprising gift, his, his face was overcome by a grin from ear to ear. He actually ran over and gave Lindsay a hug, actually came over and then gave me a hug. A hug from a 12-year-old boy. That's no small thing. It's amazing what a surprise can do. And in the very same way, the surprise that God gives us at Christmas sometimes has that effect. It, It puts a smile on our faces, causes us to grin from ear to ear, maybe even causes us to do some things that we wouldn't normally do. And yet this surprise goes much deeper than that. And its effects are much more profound than that. First of all, that means that no matter how hard and how long you try, you can never finish pondering the mystery of this surprise, the mystery that we call the incarnation, what it is and why it matters so much. But it also means that its effects are far deeper and far more profound, that yes, there are times in your life when it will probably put a smile on your face and fill your heart with joy. 
But it will also be a surprise that gives you comfort and assurance when there are tears streaming down your face. When life is full of sadness and despair and grief and loss, this surprise will get you through whatever it is that this broken and shattered world can possibly throw your way. It will get you through the very worst moments of your exile until God finally brings you home. Amen. Amen. 